Good morning, everyone. It is the 14th of March and my name is Louise Summers and I'm joined today by Niall McDonnell and Alex Byrne. As the hostilities in Ukraine escalated, financial markets took stock of developments with continuing stock market volatility. Energy markets were once more a focus, although the price of Brent crude settled back over the week. Niall, could you fill us in on the latest regarding sanctions on Russian oil? Good morning, Louise. Yes, well, last week, America announced an embargo on Russian oil, but it actually buys very little of it. It gets the vast majority of its imported crude oil from Canada, Mexico and the Middle East. Britain announced that it will phase out purchases this year. In Europe, the European Commissioner President Ursula von der Leyen has set out a deadline of five years to end its dependency on Russian oil, gas and coal. The EU depends on Russia for about 40% of its natural gas, 27% of oil imports and about 46% of its coal imports. So it is more heavily reliant on Russia for commodities. However, what's driving the surge in commodity markets is really the growing signs that the West could go further. There is talk of a common ban being placed on Russian oil and this has caused oil prices to surge to upwards of $139 a barrel last week. That is significant. And how are the major oil consuming economies planning to compensate for this loss of supply? Well, what has come into spotlight is the US shale sector, which has a higher dollar rate of economic viability. So when you get high oil prices like we see now, it's worth our while to start pumping. The only problem is it takes six months to restart the US shale wells and then another six months before the oil can be delivered. So that's a year potentially where you could see stresses in terms of oil price and, you know, the knock on implications that can have for consumers. But last week, America and other big oil consuming countries, they agreed to release 60 million barrels from their reserves. America has been also turning to other states, notably the Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. But the Biden administration does not enjoy the best of relations with these countries. American policy in the Gulf has caused tension relations to chill. And last week, Saudi Arabia refused a call of Biden to discuss oil supply dynamics. The US also has, for the first time in years, opened up diplomatic channels with Venezuela, which actually is a Russian alloy. But this country has the world's largest oil reserves. Venezuela has never released at least two Americans from jail in an apparent goodwill gesture towards the Biden administration in a possible prelude to increasing production to ease the price surge. But there is also the additional challenge for refineries that guzzle Urals crude. That is the name for Russian oil. This oil has a high sulfur content, so the refineries would actually need time for structural refits to process other types of oil. Thanks, Niall. That's very interesting. Alex, China is the world's biggest importer of oil. Do you believe they have a contingency plan? Morning, Louise. China is the second largest consumer of oil globally behind the US, but obviously doesn't benefit from the US's reserves. It does have far more mineable but dirtier reserves such as coal. China has recently signed a number of major contracts with Russian suppliers for oil and gas, so the issue is more of an increased price. China could now, with its leverage, push for a lower delivery price to keep its own domestic prices in check. Given the expected high prices for oil and gas, though, going forward, unfortunately, the most immediate solution could be to exploit this mining potential. Sanctions and the timing of some Sino-Russian meetings may have left the Chinese in an awkward spot. It doesn't suit China's interest to stray too far from the international consensus against Russia. And given the dependence of some European countries on Russian gas, I don't believe there will be a huge pressure on China to sanction Russian oil and gas. Long term, China is one of the world's largest producers and installers of solar panels, hydroelectric dams and all manner of green energy alternatives. And moving to Europe now, Alex, interesting to see a slightly more hawkish tone from the European Central Bank. 
Indeed, a decisively more hawkish shift. That is a desire to raise interest rates and tighten policy to constrain the economy. Seemingly spiralling inflation rates are enough of a concern to overwhelm any concern of slowing growth from the Ukrainian conflict. Discussions around inflation dominated after hitting a record pace of 5.8% in January. The plan now to stop net bond purchases in Q3 in response to these spiralling prices. And Niall, if this indicates central banks are not likely to be deterred from their plans to slowly normalise interest rates, it could explain the steady rise in government bond yields we saw last week? Yes, indeed, Louise. Government bond yields really whipped back up to where they were before the invasion. When Russia invaded Ukraine, we did see a rally in safe haven assets. So German 10-year bonds going negative again, and also the US 10-year bond going down to the 170s. However, central banks are focused on inflation and the ongoing geopolitical environment will arguably push inflation higher in the short term. So I think this will keep the Fed and ECB mindful of the need to hike rates to cool spiraling inflation pressures. In the week ahead, we have the much-anticipated March meeting of the US Federal Reserve. Will we see a rate rise now? I think it's pretty much a certainty that the Fed will hike by 25 basis points in the meeting this week. Anything other than that would be a complete surprise to the market. What Powell has indicated earlier in his comments, though, is ruling out a 50 basis point rise this time, but possibly in the future. Now, looking at what we're seeing from the swaps markets, they're pricing in about 175 basis points of rate rises this year, which is seven interest rate rises in 25 basis point increments. My goodness, that's quite a lot of rate rises. And Alex, any any macro data points we should look out for? Yes, we'll see industrial production numbers from China, which would show if there's any slowing of the economy, it would be evident at this ground level. We have European CPI data from February, which is projected at 5.8% year on year, which is steady at least versus last month's already somewhat historical number. More interestingly, perhaps we have the ZEW sentiment data from Germany, which could start to show the hit to sentiment from the invasion of Ukraine, which the PMIs earlier this month did not. An interesting week ahead. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Louise. Thank you, Louise.